0: Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. And uh, what he wants to say to us that are maybe a little bit older. It's great to be together this morning. It's great just to worship the Lord and to give him thanks. And it's great as Christians in a Christian church uh, to be able to come around the Bible. Uh, If you are on a journey to faith, if maybe you're still dubious or sceptical, then uh, we don't want to in that sense feed that this morning we want to try and help you Uh, we believe the bible is a living word it it endures uh, forever Uh, we don't believe God's nervous by the changes in the 21st century that he's still got something to say um, that shapes and helps our lives and so we're going to come to that in a moment Uh, Josh kindly flagged up the bible school night on Thursday Uh, forgive me for just underscoring it for a moment but there are some cards downstairs that remind you of the dates um, it seems a little <clears throat> strange now to say that the <clears throat> March Bible School was cancelled because of the beast from the east. But you remember that snow that came from nowhere. Uh, I actually drove into church that Thursday morning just to test it out to see if it was as bad as everybody was saying. Sharon said to me, why is it that you think that you've got a special track down the road? Um, anyway, there was, once I got here, there was, there was no decision to make. It was, it was dreadful, as you know. Um, so we've had a little gap but just to say that if you have been to the Bible school night then you're welcome again and if you've never been you're new to church but you want to grow in the word and I would suggest that anybody that's 16 and over will get something from Thursday Uh, and so we do it in a in a uh, informal way there's some teas and coffees There's an opportunity uh, at the end to bring a contribution back but suffice to say that if you just want to sit there and say absolutely nothing then that's fine as well so I'd encourage you to be with us on Thursday at seven o'clock and we do finish promptly as well uh, so that we don't go too late. Thank you. It's it's Pentecost by the way today and uh, Thursday just to sort of underscore that we'll be looking at the Acts of the Apostles so it'll just give a real sense of the blessing of Pentecost over 2,000 years. This morning I'm going to read two verses that uh, people that are have been Christians for any length of time will be aware of, Matthew chapter 5, if you want to turn to it in in your Bible, however you access that, or Chris will put the words on the screen for me. Now, it says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up onto the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. It was about nine years ago now that we did a, series on the, on uh, Matthew 5 6 and 7 we called it uh, raising the bar and if you can remember uh, those of you that were in the church at that time every Sunday for a period of time we had a high jump uh, upon the upon the on the uh, platform and we set the bar to the men's world record heights which is two meters 45 which is eight feet and a quarter of an inch now I'm five ten and a half so you know, uh, you know, from a standing start. Interestingly, um, just a little bit of trivia for you, it, it must be a good record because nine years later, that record by uh, a guy called Javier Sotomayor from Cuba still stands. Um, uh, it's a good one because uh, he's been the world record holder now for 25 years. Raising the bar. Some of you may remember that when you went to school, if you're as old as me, um the te- the PE teacher had sort of encouraged you to be uh, doing the high jump and it was always into a sand pit with no sand um because you know either the caretaker pinched it or there was none and my it was a hard hard drop and you used to do a straddle jump you know you used to go it for but in 1968 there was a guy called Dick Fosbury that turned up at the Mexico Olympics and uh, an innovator said, no mind about going that way, I'm going to go this way. And of course, the Fosbury Plot was born and everybody does it that way now. And the levels went up. And it's absolutely true, as in the natural, so in the spiritual, we need keep people to keep breaking through what we thought we could do to do something different because it will take us all further, higher, longer and stronger in God. So Jesus sits and began to teach the disciples as a ministry team we were talking thinking planning praying uh, regarding the next sense of what God wanted to say into the life of the church over the next five or six Sunday mornings we do that on a regular basis Uh, we want you to know that we come prepared Uh, we try and sense uh, God's prayerful heart for the church in the seasons in which we sow into And so we thought and prayed and and planned together that we'd have a a fresh look, and it will be a fresh look, at what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And that it'll take us on a journey uh, to be freshly challenged about what the Lord wants us to put into action in our lives. Please don't misinterpret the title, misunderstand it, or be pushed back from it. We want you to be drawn in. But make no mistake, the challenge in these days as we seek by God's grace to implement the teachings of Jesus is exactly that. He's called us to do the hard things. In these opening verses, we see that Jesus saw the crowds. Then he went up the mountainside. The disciples came with him. And he began to teach. The Word of God also says that he sat down, which was the rabbinical pose for teaching. Preachers today stand up, and I'm glad about that. But often in those days, they would sit and teach and lay in. As Jesus' ministry began to be outworked, it began to impact people in an amazing, amazing way. But it took time for people to fully understand the message that Jesus was bringing. You see, some people wanted Jesus to be a political agitator. They wanted uh, him to come to liberate them from oppressive Roman rule. They wanted him to come and turn up the traces and, and, uh, and uh, be the next uh, political hope uh, for Uh, that burdened people Uh, and of course he came to do something altogether different there are people of course over history that have uh, sought to define Jesus simply as a political figure but actually he was he was apolitically refused to get involved in that he actually encouraged people to give to Caesar what was Caesar's and to give to God what was God's it's one of the reasons that we never make any staunchly pro-political statements from this platform because across the room there were people with different opinions and there's room for that. And then other people not only thought that Jesus was going to be a political agitator but others thought that he was going to be a religious enforcer. In other words what had happened was that God had given the law and the law was embraced really in loving God and loving your neighbour But as so often happens with law, people think that wasn't enough and so they added to it, they added to it, they added to it, they added to it, they added to it it. till people were utterly oppressed, burdened down by inhibiting rules. You cannot get to God and you can never live for God simply by rules because there'll always be another one that you're not doing. No, Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So when Jesus began to teach the disciples on the mountainside, he brought an altogether different message. And it was a message regarding the kingdom of God and the gospel of Matthew that emphasizes the kingship or royalty of Jesus, particularly emphasizes that kingdom. You'll often hear in Matthew, the kingdom described as the kingdom of heaven. It's not a different kingdom to the kingdom of God. But in that particular context that Jesus was speaking to, speaking particularly to a Jewish mindset, they wouldn't use the word God. And so he used it in a different way, the kingdom of God. In the original language, the word for kingdom is Basileia. It's not talking about rule, it's talking, uh, sorry, realm, it's talking about rule. We are here today as part of the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom, England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. And there's different challenges in front of us because of different decisions that have been taken place. And... uh, Sometimes the the UK gets uh, flagged up. I love it when we do well and the flag goes high. I'm always embarrassed when we come 87th in the Eurovision contest. (laughs) But the United Kingdom, that's a realm. It's defined by a border. And of course, we have a watery border all around us. We're an island nation. It's not what God's speaking about God's not speaking about realm, territory. He's speaking about rule. King Jesus. When, when, when we pray what is known as the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are praying for the rule of King Jesus to be shown through us and to reach out to others. We understand there's a kingdom fullness day. But the reality is that you take the kingdom into your life more than you realize you you seep out the kingdom more than you realize there are people this week that are going to be touched by you they won't be able to put it into Bible words, but they're going to be touched by grace and by peace and by integrity and by truth and by kindness and by generosity and they 're going to be blessed by that they 're not going to go on and say, "You know what I was in the office today? The kingdom of God came." But that's what happened. That's what happened. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm thrilled by that. I'm thrilled this week that classrooms are going to be changed by the kingdom. The hospital wards are going to be touched by the kingdom. That young people are going to be touched by the kingdom. That older people. It's incredible. You need to realize what you're taking away more than you realize at present. Here's a question. How does it look when Jesus really is the king over our lives? I want your imagination to run this morning because mine was going. Because the Bible says the crowds came to him. But then he moved up the mountainside where he taught. And it says that he spoke to the disciples. In Luke's expression of... Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, it it seems that maybe it was a relatively small group that were hearing this message before being commissioned out as the sent ones. It may be that the crowd was certainly beyond the twelve, but it seems to me that certainly the crowd hadn't followed him up the mountainside, but those that truly wanted to listen did go up the mountainside to begin to take on board the words of Jesus. See, the passion of Arena Church is that every one of us wouldn't just stay the crowd, a decision, but we'd be people that journey up the mountainside so that we'd become a disciple. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, baptising in the name of uh, uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always. And that word for disciple in the New Testament is matites, which means a learner. You know, I I believe in foundational courses. I believe in helping people uh, to get grounded in God. I absolutely believe all that, all the stuff that we seek to do in arena. The only danger with any of us is that once we feel that we've done the course, we feel we've arrived. But here I am longing to ministry and longing to being a Christian. And I realize that I still I'm called to where the owl plays. I'm still called to be a disciple, a learning follower of Jesus. And he's always got something fresh to say to us. And as we've heard this morning, he often digs deep. But that's the kingdom coming. You see, to go up the mountainside is worth it. It's a long time ago now, but Bob, across here, we're trying to think, Bob, it must be 20 odd years But uh, one uh, one, uh, sunny, glorious sunny day like this in the west coast of Scotland, we'd met up with Bob and Mandy. Uh, Alison was just a a little one at that time. And uh, we said, let's climb Ben Nevis. And uh, he had his walking boots on and I had my trainers. And you know, it's the highest peak in the UK. It's about 4,300 feet. And uh, I always remember coming over one of the ridges and thinking we're nearly there. And we were a long way from being there. But there's about 60 days in the weather uh, of the, the top of the Mount of Nevis where it's clear. So lots of people get up there and can't see a thing. And I tell you, I've still got the photographs to prove it. We had one of these glorious, sunny, clear, cloudless days. It was worth the climb. It was incredible on the mountainside. You may not be as ambitious as that, but you might like a bit of exercise. I encourage you to park your car in Baslow sometime and walk up Kerber Edge. <laughs> <laughs> But when you get to the top on an afternoon like this, come on, it's worth the climb. And Spiritually speaking, friends, it's worth the climb. When we begin to see the vistas of the kingdom in our life, what he wants to do with us, the potential that sits over us, the fulfillment of his purposes, it's worth some of that huffing and puffing to climb the hill and to see what God wants to do in our lives. And the disciples left the crowds and climbed the mountain to hear what Jesus wanted to say. One of the reoccurring phrases of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which is where we'll be predominantly taking our teaching from over the next few weeks, is this. Jesus says, you have heard, but I say to you. You have heard, but I say to you. In other words, he emphasized what it meant for Jesus to be the king over our lives. Now, please hear me. We are not saved by rules. We are not even saved by biblical principles because you cannot fulfill them in your own effort or strength. We are saved when God chases us down. We are saved when he leaves the 99 that are safe and secure in the pen and he comes after you. That's when we're saved. He's passionate about you. I felt this morning as we sang that song that there's somebody here this morning and lies have been spoken over you. But God says this morning, there's no lie that he won't tear down. And if you'll give your life to him, he'll completely vindicate the truth that is in your heart. He chases after you. I'm in granddad's season, and uh, I'm not chasing after my kids anymore because they're perfectly capable of being safe in the pen, wherever that is. But these three little ones, they're going everywhere. And uh, Caleb was one yesterday, and he just took it in his stride, the serene Caleb, ever since he's been born. He's just incredible. But he's racing off somewhere. He's racing off to bang his head. He's racing off to get through that gate. He's racing... He's racing off to go near the barbecue, you know. I'm not just saying, you know what, he will be all right. It'll be, it'll be okay. I'm chasing him. And that's called grace, friends. Grace. The unmerited, undeserved favor of God that chases after you. You may be a prodigal today. You may have pitched up at church and you may have got it completely wrong. You may have made some poor decisions, soft decisions, rather than the decisions of the kingdom. You may have servant come navigated what God wants you to do for your life. But I'm telling you, he's on your case. He's chasing you. He's leaving others because he has such a regard for you to be found and secure in the pen. So we're not saved by the rules. We're not saved by the principles. We're not saved by doing the hard things. We are saved to live out those things once we are saved. And true grace working in our lives, friends, gives us a passion to say, Jesus, what do you want for my life? Because I don't want only to take you as savior, but I want to take you as king. And how can I implement it? Someone described the Sermon on the Mount as essential Christianity. It's not a Christianity just for the pastor. It's not just a Christianity for the youth leader. It's not just Christianity for those that work in community. This is for all of us to go on the journey of following the Lord. Without Jesus, we will find that these words are utterly impossible to implement and maintain. But with him, they bring a liberating power that causes us to continually reflect him on the earth, which is the passionate desire of his heart over us. Jesus' followers, disciples, don't dodge the challenge. They embrace it. Let me remind you that discipleship is intentional. We do the word of God. Let me, inspire, let me encourage you to know that discipleship is practical Sunday's message working out in Monday's living last Sunday we were off and we went to church oh my god when a church <laughs> went to a HDB church plant in Bournemouth and uh, and the guy got up and uh, you know what I was at the end I thought he should have got to his points a bit quicker you know I know about the Titanic. I didn't need it sort of all stripping down again. You know, I know that it hit an iceberg. And, you know, it went big on the Titanic, you know. But but they were doing a series on the Lord's Prayer. But you know what? It's live with me all week. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. And he got to his five points. (laughs) 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 It ministered to me. It took me into Monday. Monday was a quiet day because I was still off. But it lived with me all week. And discipleship is practical. It's hearing God's word. Maybe a phrase, a sentence, a thought this morning that takes you into tomorrow. Discipleship is a process, step by step, little by little, moving forward. Discipleship is done in relationship. I know you can have your time with God, walking up Kerber Edge, you know, know all that. But God has designed us for community. Your discipleship will never find its true fulfilment outside of being in community with other people. I know that you think you can do your Christian life better at times without us, but you can't. You need us. You need to be in somewhere, doing community. Not pushing people away, but allowing them to come too. And discipleship is demonstrable because Jesus said that by your fruits, you will know them. So over the next few Sundays, as we just tease this out this morning, I want you to imagine yourself those years ago, clambering up the mountain, wrapped with attention, listening to the words of Jesus. There's been various viewpoints by commentators as to whether this was a sermon or at the same time, long sermon. And uh, we heard a message or we heard an illustration at the the conference recently about long sermons and uh, how that a pastor had made the ministry all about him rather than the people were listening to him. You know, we can all go for an hour, friends, Genesis to Revelation, (laughs) you know, using the uh, the illustrations we've used before. We can all do that. But if it's pushing people away rather than drawing people to, it's pointless because it's not communicating anything. So the story goes that this guy said to Pastor Chris, "Uh, my church ain't growing. He says, how long are you preaching for? He says, an hour, an hour, Every, every week, hour. And he says, you need to cut it down to 30 minutes. He slammed the phone down. You're not talking to me like that. <laughs> six months later, he rang up, profusely apologising. He says, what you said to me, sir, so I just couldn't shake it off. I just couldn't shake it off. Reduced my ministry and my church has grown by another third. <laughs> and we don't want sound bites in arena church, friends. But we need to recognise that we're have to communicate well and communicate within time limits. So the question is, did Jesus say this all in one go? Or did he say it over a period of time? Was this a a week on the hillside rather than a day? You know, was it done in church? Whatever. Matthew, in his wonderful way of inspiration of the Spirit, has pulled it all together for us. And we're not going to go line by line over the next few weeks, but we are going to tease out some things that will encourage us to do the hard things. To do the hard things devotionally. To do the hard things relationally. That means if something's got wrong, how do we put it right? There have been Christians that have left, lived with wrong relationships with, for 30 years and wondered why they've never been blessed. There are churches, friends, that have never dealt with division for years and are praying for revival on Friday nights. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Because the Bible says that the landing strip for God's presence is unity. That's what we're passionate about, unity in arena churches. If something goes wrong, we seek to put it right very, very quickly. We're going to look about doing the hard things morally in an amoral society. You what? You still believe that? Yeah, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about doing the hard things um, it worshipfully. How do we put God first in our lives? And so it goes on doing the hard things. You may say, Phil, I've never even become a Christian yet. You're talking to me about doing the hard things. Well, as a close, I learned from last week, I've got five things to finish. <laughs> 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 because if you will yield this morning to the grace of Jesus Christ that sits over your life, that chases you down, And for those of us that are believers that love Jesus with a passion and all across Arena Church have a heart to climb climb the mountainside to sit at the words of Jesus. If we will, in grace and with a yielded heart, to pray for the kingdom of God to come and minister into our lives, I tell you, this won't set you up for a fall. It'll set you up for a win. And here's five things that happen. When by the grace of God and through the power of his spirit at work in our lives and with a yieldedness of heart that yields to his word and says, Lord Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's what begins to happen. Number one, when we do the hard things, it brings liberty. It brings liberty because over the next five, uh, once we got through... uh, uh, Romans, sorry, Matthew 1 and 2, we come to what we call the blessed, the beatitudes, blessed. If you've got an amplified version, it explains the word blessed every time in those verses. To be happy, to be envied, to be fortunate, to be prosperous, blessed. Imagine me getting up this morning saying, friends, I've got a great word for you. Cursed are the people of Arena. You've been going to Christian saying, Can you sack that block? He's doing me heading. But God says, You will be blessed, blessed, blessed. It brings liberty to our lives, a liberating force to live free. It's the enemy that binds. It's the enemy that seeks to kill and to steal and to destroy. It's the enemy that seeks to take away. It's the enemy that seeks to belittle. It's the enemy that seeks to bind us with life controlling issues. Jesus comes to bring a blessed liberty over our lives. Number two, it will challenge purity in a very impure world. Here is the call to be a people that are set apart. And the word for it in the Bible is holy. Holy. Sadly, it's a word that's been misconstrued. Oh, it's them people that wear suits, even on a hot day like that's to prove the holy. Black suits, walking around, miserable. Holy. And it's sad. No wonder people don't want holiness. The word is hagios. It simply means to be different or to be set apart as special. Young people. In an impure world, God wants to set you apart as special. That's incredible. That's not to push away from. That's to be drawn to. That's holiness. It will challenge our purity. Number three, it will minister to our priority. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. It will entail priority. I love Josh this morning praying and then not wanting to go back to God because he knew God was going to say something different. I don't know about you, but God's, God's pretty hard with me at times. And, you know, I know when God's spoken into my heart and I've walked away from prayer, thinking, you know, it'll be different tomorrow. It'll be, it'll be it'll be different tomorrow. God got God will have moved on. I'll have moved on. It'll be different tomorrow. And I get down to prayer, First agenda we got is you know what we, you know what we want about this. And I tell you, God's dug very deep at times. But I encourage you to seek first the kingdom, because then the things, the thing, the practical things of Matthew six, the things at times that perturbs the things that we worry about four times it says do not worry the thing you know ah, how's the job If you'll seek first the kingdom he'll take care of all these things he really will but it'll mean priority number four it'll deepen maturity because Matthew 7 he says by your fruit you'll be known and God wants mature fruit Mature fruit. You know, those of you who like to go the highways and byways picking those blackberries, you know, you have to wait for a certain time. You have to wait until they are matured. Otherwise, they're horrible. horrible. Mature fruit. And all over this room, God's passionate about people producing fruit after fruit after fruit after fruit. And finally, friends, it will ensure stability. Because right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, there's a brilliant conclusion. I said to preachers, always work on your introduction, not too long, and always work on your conclusion. Be a good finish. And the arch example of that was Jesus. Because he says, if you will put these words into action, even when the storms blow, and the storm blew on the house that was on the sand, and the storm blew on the house that was on the rock. I'm sorry, I can't guarantee as a Christian you're not going to have a storm. I don't want you going looking for them. I mean, we'd be crazy today saying, you know what, I wish it to rain this afternoon. We're all going out. We're going to enjoy a picnic. Somebody's going to get the bar. I wish it to. We're not looking for a storm. We're enjoying the sunshine. Blessed be the name of the Lord when the sun is shining down on me and the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name. But when I'm found in a desert place, still be. So, Josh prophesied into it in prayer this morning. Maybe there's a storm in your life, and please, I'm not treating that in a trite way. I know what storms are. I've been through some very, very big storms in recent times. I know what they are. I know what they are. But to stand on the words of Jesus and know that he will bring us through is amazing. So as I close, former President S. Truman says, I do not believe there is a problem in this country or even in the world that could not be settled if we apply the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my heroes, a German pastor, was martyred just before the end of the Second World War as he made a brave in the song this morning, Stand Against Nazi Regime. says, humanly speaking, we can understand the Sermon on the Mount in a thousand ways. But Jesus simply calls us to to be doing and obeying a simple surrender and obedience. This is the only way to hear his words and to do them. Doing the hard things. May it be a series that doesn't push us back but draws us to. May it be something that allows us not to be satisfied with the foothills of the mountain but to scale the mountain. To hear the words of the master, Jesus. I tell you, if we'll implement it, we'll have no regrets.